Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sean the Baptist Live on this early edition for Wednesday, March 10th. Uh, as I mentioned last week on the show, we're uh, an hour earlier uh, this week on the live portion of it uh, because I got to go hear confessions. We got uh, the little second graders are getting their souls all cleaned up tonight for the first time in the, the sacrament of penance, so sometimes called the sacrament of confession. We'll be talking a little bit about that tonight. What is the deal with... Confession, penance, what is all this uh, stuff about? And uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit about the, the sacrament of uh, baptism, initiation, and everything. Uh, as, as I mentioned last week, I do, uh, I do have things live tonight uh, on Sean the Baptist as well as uh, on the St. Patrick's page. So uh, most people will follow on Sean the Baptist, but uh, if you're out there on St. Patrick's, you can always catch me on uh, the Sean the Baptist uh, spot and uh, so part of the reason for doing this live, obviously, is so I can take your questions. So if you have questions tonight uh, about baptism or just about anything to do with Lent, uh, feel free to join in. Post your questions right in the, the forum there, and I will get it. And uh, we'll be happy to to try to uh, meet up with you on your questions and and see what I can do to to help things out there. Uh, so. We are in the middle of Lent, so this uh, this weekend is is going to be uh, the the fourth Sunday of Lent, uh, but that that also means that it is uh, Laetare Sunday. Now this is similar to Gaudete Sunday in Advent, in that uh, the most noticeable thing is that we we wear the uh, rose colored vestments. Here, let me. Uh, let me zoom you in a little bit here. You're a little far out. Let me get you a little bit tighter. Uh, so yeah, we, we will once again wear those beautiful rose-colored vestments. Uh, because since it's halfway through Lent, we get kind of happy about that. And uh, we, we want to you know, celebrate a little bit. As I mentioned on the show last week, it used to be that the, uh, the rules, as it were for Lent, uh, allowed only the, uh, the organ to play, only to support the singing. Normally the organ was silent. Uh, but Latari Sunday was an exception. Also, no flowers on the altar during Lent except Latari Sunday. So it's a little bit of a little bit of a, a mid-Lent uh, celebration to say, "Hey, we're we're halfway through. We're we're gonna, you know, we're making it." Uh, and uh, and so we get a chance to to kind of relax the penitential bit a little bit to to kind of get ready uh, to practice celebrating. You know, Catholics, we we can't just you know fast. All the time, we we got to have a little bit of celebrating in there, and uh, certainly that's that's part of the deal on Latari Sunday to celebrate a little bit. And so, uh, we'll, you know, it's not the full-on Easter thing, but it's uh, hey, it's rose vestments, and that's not nothing. So, enjoy the uh, the rose vestments, and, and we'll certainly be doing some of that here. Um, you know, does your does your parish have rose-colored vestments? I mean, that may be something to kind of try to figure out and see and you can let me know um so all right let's see who we got it so eddie is, is on good to see eddie back on uh which is to me the most important most or the most impactful of the uh the sacrament so good question so we'll we'll be sure to to get to that one uh, uh tonight um might might pull up here so um a little bit of the uh thing uh I could spit. Um, I know that teased a bunch of people uh, in there, and so uh, I am happy to talk tonight about the 
the traditional practice of uh, spitting during uh, the initiation ritual uh, into the church. Uh, it it did include some uh, some spitting, some spitting to the west, as we'll we'll talk about. Um, so I'm looking forward to to talking about about that tonight. So I could I could spit. Indeed, uh, maybe maybe you could. <laughs> I hope no one wants to to spit as this uh, show goes on. But uh, we'll talk about that. So uh, we are going to be talking about the sacrament of baptism. So Eddie is asking about what, in, in my experience, is the most impactful or important of the sacraments. Well, I can say, without a doubt, the most important sacrament is baptism. Uh, it is the gateway to all the other sacraments. So just objectively speaking... Uh, without without baptism, you don't get anything else. Uh, baptism is so important that uh, the church has taught, continues to teach. Sometimes you hear maybe we change. Church teaches baptism is necessary for salvation. There is no other ordinary way by by which we can go to heaven. It is the initiation of grace into the soul, without which it is impossible to please God. So we would have that common uh, amongst Christians for a long time. <clears throat> there was kind of a, a split as to whether baptism actually does anything. Some Protestants began to believe that baptism doesn't actually do anything. It's more of a, a symbol of something that, that's already uh, happened. That's, that's not what we believe as Catholics. Um, we believe that baptism actually infuses the soul with the indwelling presence of God, what we call sanctifying grace. Now, we've talked about original sin on here before. You know, original sin is properly understood not so much as um, a stain, something present. Sometimes we'll refer to original sin as like our, our souls are stained with original sin until they get washed clean in baptism. Well, church fathers always referred to original sin, especially Augustine, the doctor of grace, as, as not, not so much... Uh, a stain is an absence of something that should be there. Uh, we we should, being created in the image and likeness of God, we should be in friendship with God. We should have that from the, the moment of our conception. When we come to exist, original sin says that was lost. Unlike Mary, who was conceived without original sin, hence the immaculate conception of Mary, uh, we are not conceived without sin. We are conceived without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So at baptism... The Holy Spirit begins to dwell in our souls, as if God dwelling in a temple. So that is by far the most important sacrament. John Paul II referred to the day of his baptism as the greatest day of his life. So uh, Eddie's got a great question there about which is the most important sacrament. Baptism. Baptism is what initiates us into the life of grace and saves us. So uh, now it's just the the initiation. You know, then then we need the other sacraments. So. The, the full sacraments of initiation are, are baptism, confirmation, and, and Eucharist. And, and actually, uh, in that order. So that's, that is the traditional order of, of how one is initiated as a, a Christian. And, I'm, you know, up until the time of the Protestant Reformation, I mean, all, all Christians. Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. Those are the sacraments of uh, initiation. So one of the topics that might kind of come up tonight as we... We talk about the early church and Christian initiation. Is is what what order do the sacraments of initiation come in? Some of you might have 
heard some some talk uh, in the liturgy nerd circles, or even not liturgy nerds, but the restored order, restored order of the sacraments of initiation. And, and by that, uh, we're referring to the fact that today it is common that if you are baptized as a little baby as a Catholic, uh, the next sacrament you would receive, more than likely, is going to be uh, your first communion, the Eucharist. And then later when you are a teenager or more adult, you would get confirmed and receive the sacrament of confirmation. That is a very, very modern, late kind of, well, strange occurrence in the church that essentially got the sacraments out of order. Uh, and there are various reasons for that, which we can talk about tonight. Um, but uh, when we refer to the restored order, we mean putting them back in the, the order that the church always celebrated them um, for good reason, as we'll see. And that is baptism, confirmation, and then Eucharist. Part of that is that the, the Eucharist is really the, the culmination of Christian initiation. How could someone receive the body and blood of Jesus the after baptism, the sacrament of sacraments? How could you receive that if you're not fully initiated, meaning you're not confirmed? And what does confirmation uh, even mean? Um, so mainly we're going to talk about baptism tonight. But as we'll see, when we talk about baptism, confirmation always went together with it, uh, especially as we look at the early church. So uh, a great kind of lead-in question from Eddie there. So if any of the rest of you watching have questions, feel free to, to post those, and I'll be, I'll be happy to, uh, to get to those as well. But, all right, so tonight I, I, I kind of teased a little bit with the uh, I Could Spit title. So I, I do want to talk about um, baptism practice in the early church. Now, probably, uh, if you're at a big enough parish right now, uh, you at least know that there's talk about the, the catechumens. You know, catechumen, this is a Greek word, uh, which at its root kind of refers to the idea to echo, to echo back, to repeat. Because a catechumen is someone preparing for baptism, and the method by which someone would normally be prepared for baptism is that they would be instructed, and then they would echo back what they had been taught. For instance, the, uh, the catechist, the one doing the instructing, uh, might uh, say, okay... Why did God make you? And those preparing for baptism would be able to echo back, God made me to know, love, and serve him in this life and to be happy with him forever and the next. You know, they're taught that, that that's the response, and you, you echo it back. So to be a, a catechumen is, is literally someone who's preparing for baptism. Now, in, in the early church, of course, most of the people preparing for baptism were adults. Because, well, Christianity uh, was well, illegal up until the, the fourth century. And uh, obviously there weren't a whole lot of multi-generational Christians early on. Uh, just like we see in the scriptures, the, the apostles would go out and preach and people would come to believe. And these are largely adults, although we, we see that adults are baptized and then their their whole household, as the scripture says. So we know that their, their children and infants would have been baptized too. Um, but we didn't have the, the chance for like everyone to be baptized as a baby. Most people came to know about Christianity as an adult. And so catechumens were adults as well as children, but mainly adults preparing for baptism. And uh, ever since the Second Vatican Council, we have kind of resurrected this idea of the adult catechumenate, where adults would be properly prepared to receive the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. Well, in the early church... The process of, of becoming a catechumen and, and becoming Catholic would, would actually take maybe three years or so, at least multiple years. 
you didn't just say, hey, I want to join your church. Can I become Catholic? And like, yeah, come on in. We'll get you, you know, we'll get you the little the little membership card and we'll get you some envelopes to start contributing to the collection. Uh, no, like, I want to be Catholic. Oh, that's nice. We'll, we'll let you, uh, you know, kind of see what it's about for a bit. You know, we'll let, we'll let you become someone who's inquiring, who's aspiring to maybe one day be allowed into the Catholic community. That's kind of how that went. Um, so you would discern for years. And then eventually, uh, you would be allowed to officially become a member of the Order of Catechumens. And then finally, drawing close to Easter, uh, the traditional time for baptisms, you might be called to become Catholic that Easter, at which point you would become a member of the elect or the chosen for baptism that year. Well, we have recreated this kind of in, in modern day where we have the Order of Catechumens again. Probably some of you on the first Sunday of Advent saw people accepted into the Order of Catechumens. And then here at the beginning of Lent, uh, although COVID has got things, all things a little different, uh, the catechumens who are going to be baptized at Easter were called by the bishop, call, they were elected, they were chosen uh, and, and became members of the elect, the chosen ones for baptism for this year at Easter. Now, most of those people did not take three years to go from catechumen to elect. Generally today, uh, the catechumenate it kind of starts in the fall when school starts and, and culminates that very next Easter. So not even a whole year as a, as a catechumen now. Uh, although it, there, there's no time limit on it. So, it, I mean, it could be something that even to this day would, would take multiple years. Um, but the, the main point behind it is that to, to decide to become Catholic is much different than, than deciding, like, I'm going to join First Baptist Church of, you know, Cowtown, USA. You know, that's that's a church that's probably not connected with other churches, and you go there if you like the pastor, you like the people, you, you know, and if you don't, you, you find a new church, and each church is kind of its own thing, and you're going to find some place where you feel at home, and if you don't feel at home, you'll, you'll try again. Well, becoming Catholic is not like that. Becoming Catholic is the same way it was to become Christian in the early church. It, it's not joining a particular building or group even. Uh, it is to join your life to Christ and his church. A church which is, is not local. A church which is kataholos, Catholic, universal, according to the whole. The whole world, the whole church, the whole shooting match. When you become Catholic... You, you join something that is not just worldwide, but outside time and space even. So that, that's a big deal. Uh, to be baptized forever marks your soul. And in fact, baptism is so important that you can't go to heaven without it, but we won't even allow little children to be baptized unless we have a well-founded hope that they're going to be raised Catholic. Because we're... We're not going to mark someone's soul perpetually and then never have them learn about Jesus or what it is to be Catholic or to, or to follow. That would be unjust. And so the church says we, we, we can't even do that. We, we have to make sure the child will be raised Catholic. So uh, being Catholic is a big, big deal. Uh, and so we, we don't just do that lightly. There has to be some kind of instruction, some kind of learning, because to become Catholic is to make 
a life choice. It's to say, I, I permanently give my life to the following of Jesus in his church, such that the church teaches to, to refuse to be a part of the Catholic Church or to refuse to remain a part of it after baptism, one loses your salvation if you do that knowingly and freely. So that knowing and freely choosing part is a, is a big deal. So before we let someone become Catholic, we have to make sure that they know what they're choosing and they freely choose it. It's not just a little group. It's, it's, it's staking your whole life on the death and resurrection of Jesus and the church that he founded. It's a big, big deal. So that, that's a little bit of the origin of the, the catechumen, and it remains the same to this day. But think about it. In the early church, if you were saying, I want to join your group, I want to I be part of this, this Catholic thing that, that you're doing, well, to, to say that is to say, I'm ready to die. Because if, if you were becoming Catholic, Christian, in, in the early church, life expectancy was not so long. I mean, there were people going around killing all the Christians. So for you to say, yes, I want to be a Christian, is not only to say in, in figure, I'm willing to lay down my life for the truth of believing in Jesus. It's to say in actuality, uh, I'm ready to die for the truth of this, and that might happen shortly after my baptism. More to it, people who are already Christian know that if I'm going to let somebody else in the group, that person might try to kill me. Is this a spy? Is, is this, uh, you know, someone who's trying to just find out about us so they know where we're at so they can kill us? Uh, the, the early tradition is that the, the sign of the cross was like a secret sign. You know, you go knock on the, the door of the Christians, like, uh, is this where the Christians are meeting? Maybe. Okay, come on in. We'll let you in. Make the sign of the cross, secret sign. You know, this little sign of the, the fish. Greek, ichthus is fish, spells out Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. It's a secret kind of group. You, you didn't, you know, find out about it, what was going on, uh, until you were in. So a lot of the, the period of catechumenate today is spent learning all about the Catholic Church. Well, in the early church, it wasn't exactly like that. There were secret things that you did not get to learn until you were in. Like, you don't. You don't show people the most secret, secret, special stuff to someone who's not fully initiated. Hence, you don't receive the Eucharist uh, until you're fully initiated. Baptism and confirmation. Well, there, there's some of that today. We, we certainly don't share the Eucharist with just anyone. Uh, and technically, you know, we're not brothers and sisters with people who are not baptized. The, the reason we can call ourselves brothers and sisters is because we, we become adopted children of God through baptism. So if we, if we all have the same father, then we're brothers and sisters. But if you're not baptized, you have no right to call God father. God's not your, your father. I mean, he's infinite power, distant, out there, transcendent God. He becomes our father by virtue of adoption and baptism. That's, that's when we get claimed. So we're, we're not brothers and sisters with non-baptized people. I don't know how many people actually stop to think about that. Uh, the only reason why we can call someone our brother and sister is because we share a common baptism and hence a common father and Jesus as our brother. Um, anyway, so a little bit about the importance of, of baptism there. So the, the period of the catechumenate then uh, culminates in the, the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, normally celebrated 
at, at Easter time. Early times, maybe Pentecost even, uh, but pretty quickly, Easter became the, the normal time in which people would be baptized. Now, it didn't take uh, too long then to say like, okay, well, we need an intense period of preparation right before baptism. Yeah, you've been doing this catechumenate thing for three years and now you're, you're the elect. Um, so what happened was a period of 40 days of preparation for baptism for the elect was set aside. After all, Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness preparing for, for his big public uh, ministry, uh, his mission. Uh, so before people were baptized, like they would take 40 days of serious preparation before Easter, which led to the season of Lent, Quaresma, 40 days. Well, people started to see that, um, well, okay, if we've got these people preparing to become Christians at Easter, and they're taking 40 days to prepare, well, why don't we pray for them? They need our prayers. And so the, the Christian community started to spiritually accompany the, the catechumens to join in in their prayer and fasting to get ready for baptism. And so the whole community joined in. And so they started doing prayer and fasting. And so the season of, of Lent was, was born um, out of the spiritual time of preparation for baptism of the catechumens and the desire of the Christian community to, to join in, to also do that. And so pretty soon the whole church started praying and fasting intently uh, during Easter. And then eventually we lost the whole kind of adult catechumenate thing when most people would get baptized as babies. We, we didn't have as many adults uh, getting baptized. But people still did the season of Lent, the kind of uh, preparatory uh, period for Easter. And then after the, the Second Vatican Council, um, part, of, part of the uh, ritual of the uh, Easter became to renew baptismal promises started a little bit before the Second Vatican Council. Uh, but yeah, so to some extent, I, before, I, before I cleverly uh, titled tonight's show, uh, I Could Spit, um, I actually began with the title, Lent is about baptism. Because really, Lent is about baptism and, and preparation for it. Um, I know you're asking, like, what's this spitting part? Don't worry, we'll get there. Hang on, we'll get to the spitting. Don't worry. So Lent is about baptism was my alternate title for this. But honestly, would you have tuned in to watch a show called Lent is about baptism? Or are you more likely to tune in to watch a show called I Could Spit? Not my first rodeo. I know how to sell this stuff. Um, so yeah, you, you get to Lent is about baptism. And for us today, uh, on Easter Sunday, or the Easter vigil on Saturday night, if you're there, um, the, the priest is going to get up and, and say, you know, now that we've completed our Latin observance, let's renew together the promises we made in holy baptism. Crickets, right? How many of you know the promises you made in holy baptism? Yeah. Um, well, well, here at St. Patrick Parish in Kansas City, uh, one of the things that uh, our pastor, Father Mark, uh, likes to do is use one of the, the alternate uh, forms for the profession of faith, the creed, uh, and that is to use the Apostles' Creed. Some of you may know that there are, there are two different uh, creeds that we use in the liturgy, the Nicene or the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed uh, from the Council of Nicaea at Constantinople in the 4th century. Uh, and that's the one that starts, I believe in one God, credo in unum Deum. 
Uh, but there's also the Apostles' Creed, more familiar to us, uh, oftentimes used in the Rosary. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of Earth, and Jesus Christ is only Son, our Lord. That one, the, or the shorter one, as it's known. So the Apostles' Creed, um, we use it during Lent and Easter here at St. Pat's because uh, it is the oldest kind of baptismal promise formula. You would be asked, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of Heaven and Earth? I do. Okay, so each of the, the kind of statements from the Apostles' Creed, uh, not only does it come from the time of the Apostles, hence the Apostles' Creed, but it would have been the, the formula of baptism that was used, the baptismal promises. Uh, you would be asked in question form what we, we now profess uh, kind of openly in the uh, Apostles' Creed as, as it's known. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about how that happens ritually during, during baptism now. But yes, Lent is about baptism, and, and we see that because when we get to Easter, we're all going to renew our baptismal promises together. Okay? So that, that's a little introduction to the, the catechumenate and, and even how today that Lent is still about baptism. So let me know if you got questions about that. Uh, good to see Lisa on here uh, tonight. Uh, we, we've got our, our usual folks, but um, just so you know, it, it used to be in the past that I could kind of see who's, who's on and watching. Uh, I know that we've got a couple dozen people on, but I, I don't know uh, who those people are uh, right now. So if you want to just post a comment saying who you are, what parish you're watching from, I see a lot of St. Pat's people uh, normally on. So um, let me know who you are, where you're at, where you're watching. Are you a, a first, any first time watchers, listeners? Uh, so this is coming to you live tonight on, on Facebook, on uh, Facebook Live from Sean the Baptist and cross-posted over to the St. Patrick Catholic Church page. So uh, two possible places to watch live. And uh, as uh, those not familiar, when this is done, I also record it and I will upload that video to YouTube, to the Sean the Baptist YouTube page, where you can uh, check that out. I always see uh, Linda Franklin Kalenda from Christ the King. Welcome, Linda. Good to have you on. Um, when I'm done, I will upload the video to the Sean the Baptist YouTube channel. And, and so if, if you, um, want to get it there, feel free to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, it will be posted after this is done, as soon as it uploads. Uh, and then of course your, your hub for, uh, everything, uh, is seanthebaptist.org. That's S-H-A-N-T-H-E-B-A-P-T-I-S-T, seanthebaptist.org. Uh, there, I will post the video. I will create an audio-only version for a podcast. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, if you want to follow me on Facebook, if you want to like my YouTube, uh, seanthebaptist.org, there are lots of little buttons you can click to do all that stuff. Anything to get your Sean the Baptist needs taken care of. Okay, Jean Domovic Lanka. Domovic, that sounds Croatian. Uh, from St. Pat's. So yes, probably some of our... Uh, Croatian friends there with Gene. Good to have you on, Gene. And Eddie says he shared my video with Father Brian Boozle. Oh, uh, Father Brian and I lived together at uh, Franciscan Monastery in D.C. when I was uh, studying canon law. And uh, Father Brian was working on his STD. Uh, that That's um, sacred theology doctorate for those familiar. In the church, getting an STD is actually a very good thing. It's quite an accomplishment to get an STD in the church, one for which you would actually get a piece of paper and hang it on the wall uh, and be very proud of yourself. Although there are the uh, uh, rather unfortunate initials to um, put behind your your name there. I have the STL, which is the licentiate, which is one tiny little paper 
called a dissertation away from an STD. So one day I too hope to get an STD like Father Brian, but uh, shout out to uh, Father Brian and uh, Joyce Scrasco's on. Good to have you on from St. Pat's. Um, yeah, good to everyone joining us tonight. All right, so we are we are halfway through tonight's Sean the Baptist Live, and I've been talking about how Lent is about baptism and the catechumenate and what that means. Uh, and now I will take a quick drink of coffee. Uh, how about that? That's nice. All right, so now I want to talk about the reason you're all here, the spitting. I could spit. That's the, uh, that's the title uh, of this one, and I, I don't think I even... Uh, have it up there, but yeah, I could spit. What's that about? All right, we're going to talk about the uh, way that the elect were baptized in the early church. And this, um, this is, it's a little liturgy nerd stuff. You know, I like the liturgy nerd stuff, but this is actually kind of fascinating. And, and even people who are not liturgy nerds will, will enjoy this, I think. So here's the way baptism uh, went uh, oh, Peggy Summers on too, who's who's watching for St. Pat's. Very good. Um, so, all right, you're the, you're the elect. You're you're chosen for uh, baptism at that Easter. So, as as maybe you know, because uh, it's still this way today, uh, baptisms of adults typically take place at the the solemn vigil of Easter, which would be the the first mass of of Easter, uh, and it takes place at night. That's because baptism, both now and in the early church, was alternately called enlightenment. Talked about that darkness of being deprived of God's grace from the, the moment of conception until baptism. Uh, so baptism is, is enlightenment. So isn't it nice that it, it takes place during the dark? Dark also emblematic of Jesus's death and his resting in the tomb uh, because baptism is also called regeneration or rebirth to... Uh, be born again. You know, Nicodemus in the, the Gospel of John famously comes to Jesus at night and Jesus tells him he has to be born again. Well, how, how can a man be born again? Go back into the womb? Uh, and Jesus says, no, water in the, the spirit. But the, the dark church is meant to to somewhat uh, recall the, the darkened tomb and the, the baptismal font, uh, often referred to as the womb of, of the church from which new life comes forth. So, in the darkness of Easter night, when Jesus rose from the dead, we enter the dark church. Um, and the way this was, was done then in the, the early church, uh, in, in the middle of the, the liturgy, those elect, those called to baptism, are, are, are taken to normally a separate building, a baptistry. Um, this uh, most famous of these being the baptistry of St. John Lateran in, in Rome. Uh, it's... it's uh, a building right next to the Basilica Cathedral, where, where you would leave the main church and, and the catechumens would gather in the baptistry because they're not in the church yet, literally or figuratively. They, baptism takes place outside the church and it is your, your entry ticket, as it were, into the church. And, and so they would be brought to the baptistry for baptism and um, they would be stripped completely naked because you're... you're dying to this world. You're, you're leaving every, I said it was a big deal to become Catholic. You're saying I am willing to die to the things of this world. So symbolically, when you're, when we're born, we're not wearing any clothes. Uh, so when you're being reborn, you're not wearing any clothes. And notice it makes everyone equal. <laughs> uh, no one's got fancy clothes on. Everyone's naked and equal before God. We are completely bare. It also shows that God sees us completely. Um, so 
there's there's the little PG rated moment moment of of the Sean the Baptist live tonight. Naked baptism. It was a thing. Could still be a thing. Uh, but it was definitely a thing in the early church. And the uh, the first thing that would happen then before baptism is that the catechumens would be anointed with the oil of catechumens. Special oil. They're going to get anointed twice, as still happens today. But the oil of catechumens was blessed specially to anoint catechumens to prepare them for baptism. And so much as... Uh, like a, an athlete would, would, would put oil on their, their muscles kind of to, to get limbered up and, and ready. Um, to be baptized is to become an athlete of Christ. To be saying, I'm willing to engage in the battle, to, to enter the, uh, the competition, as it were. So the naked bodies of the catechumens would be completely covered in the oil of catechumens. They would be smeared all over. Uh, as, as a sign of getting ready for battle, but also as a sign of protection. Notice we also put oil on things to preserve them, to protect uh, them, you know. Uh, and so the the prayer that, that goes over the blessing of the oil and, and the imposition, the putting on of the oil today, uh, is an exorcism prayer. We actually pray an, an exorcism because remember, catechumens don't have the Holy Spirit. They, they do not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and so are much more susceptible to the evil spirits uh, and just the spirit of the age, this, the spirit of the world, the flesh, the devil. Um, there's a lot that we need to be set free from in baptism and protected against. So if you're going to live the Christian life, it's a, it's a big battle. And so the oil of catechumens is accompanied with a prayer of exorcism to say, all right, these people that are about to be flooded with the Holy Spirit, set them free from any influence of the, the evil spirit. You know, we, we pray for deliverance from any evil spirits, and then they're anointed with the oil of catechumens um, to become athletes of Christ, athleta Christi. Uh, that's, that's a great term today for, for all of us. If you're baptized, you are an athlete of Christ. Uh, and so, sadly, the anointing with catechumen, the oil of catechumens is optional today. I always do it. I mean, I, little babies, they're, they're anointed on their chest, uh, like, to, like almost putting on the armor, like a breastplate of, of protection. Uh, to make them a, a soldier of Christ, an athlete of Christ. Uh, so why wouldn't you pray that prayer? I do, all the time. Love doing it, smear the, the oil of catechumens all over the little baby's chest, or normally for the adults, their, their hands uh, are anointed. So, bunch of naked people in the dark, in the baptistry, uh, anointed with the uh, oil of catechumens. Which, by the way, you might be asking, are there men and women there? Yes, and there'll probably be like a curtain that like kind of curtains off the men from the women. And, and this is where sometimes people hear about female deacons. Uh, you know, there was a, a question posed of Francis, uh, Pope Francis, soon after he became Pope, about what about female deacons? Um, there is no evidence that women have ever been or ordained uh, to the like ministerial holy orders dimension of like deacon as we know it today. But... Here is, is where there is some uh, indication of, of women being involved in a role that would be kind of referred to as a, a deacon, a female deacon or whatever, the, not ministerially, but uh, someone needed to anoint the, the bodies of the female catechumens and assist them with their baptism. There are obvious problems of celibate male clergy uh, anointing the naked bodies of women. So what did we do? We got female assistants to help, and they would loosely be called deaconettes or 
female deacons or something like that. Um, they were not ordained, they're not, you know, in holy orders, but as a matter of propriety, they would help anoint the naked females who are preparing for baptism. So there's a little, there's a little trivia, liturgical nerd humor for you. Uh, yes. So uh, they get all anointed with the oil of catechumens. Now, here comes the spitting part. I know you were waiting for it. Here comes the spitting. So before you're baptized, now, you, now you're all prepared, you're ready, you got the exorcism, you got your oil of catechumens on. Next comes the promises of baptism. Remember the ones I talked about in the Apostle Creed. So, before you make the promises of baptism, the I do's, as you were, the baptismal promises are in two parts. And it, it, it continues to this day. Before the I do's, or the I believes, you have the I rejects, or I renounce. Because you're going to be asked, do you reject, do you renounce Satan? Okay, that's the first thing that the, the candidates would be asked. And just to get it across the point, they would all face west, which is representative of Satan. That's where the sun sets, where it seems like the light is conquered, it goes to die. So the, the west is representative of, of Satan and darkness. So you would face west, to, to face Satan, as it were, and the, the priest would ask, do you reject Satan? And the people would respond, I reject, I renuncio, I renounce, I reject, and you would spit to the west. There it is. There's the spitting just to get across the emphasis of how much you have to really reject Satan, you would yell loudly, I reject, and you would spit to the West. That's powerful stuff. We Catholics, we, we like our signs and symbols. I mean, this is real stuff here. Also, mental note, don't, you know, if you're, if you're like ready at a early church baptism and you're like the photographer at the early church baptism in the first century, don't stand on the West wall of the baptistry gets a little messy theoretically just a little tip so you three times you're going to be asked do you reject satan i renounce spit all his empty works and all his empty show i reject spit again third time do you reject satan all his work and all his empty show all his empty promises i reject spit for a third time that's a lot of spitting but it's a serious deal Reject Satan? It's like, oh yeah, I reject Satan. No, this is hard, okay? Because, well, from the time of Adam and Eve, we're not so good about rejecting Satan. Oh, we say we do. Oh yeah, do you reject Satan? Oh yeah, I do. Do you? I mean, really? How about when it looks really tempting, like Adam and Eve in the garden? Oh, look, that apple looks like actually kind of good for eating and Oh, it looks good for gaining knowledge and wisdom. And what could be bad about that? And, you know, this this nice, cute little dragon is, you know, trying to get me to eat it. And can't be all bad, right? Yeah. Eve, not exactly yelling, I reject, to the serpent and spitting at him, decides, oh, I kind of like this. See, Satan is not going to get us with things that look all evil and ugly. 
He's not going to tempt us with something that we would want run away from. He's going to tempt us with things that look good, things that are attractive, things that would, in fact, stir up the good in us to say, oh, I think I kind of like that. I see the good in that evil. Because we can't choose evil for evil's sake. We only choose evil for the apparent good that we see. So saying that I reject Satan in all his trickery, not so easily done. That, that That's why... The period of preparation during Lent is all about getting ourselves to the point where we're free enough from our attachments to sin to actually be able to say, I reject and mean it. Because if you're still stuck in sin, it's kind of hard to say, yeah, I, re I reject. I'm, I'm a new person. I'm ready to reject sin, uh, except I'm not. I, I'm still attached to all my sins. So it's a big deal to say, I reject Satan. It's not easy. It's one of the hardest things we have to do every day is to say, I reject Satan and I choose God. So three times the catechumens are asked to reject Satan and they spit to the West. Then, now, they turn around 180 degrees to face East, land of the rising sun, land of the return of the light, the resurrection, if you followed along in Advent, the Oriens, the one who rises, the sun, or Jesus, the one who rises. The Orient means the east because that is where the sun comes up. That's where the rising, the Orient, takes place. So you turn your back to the west. You literally turn your back on Satan. Isn't that awesome? You spit in his face three times, and then you turn your back on him to face east, to face God. And then you're asked three other questions. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? The response to this is credo. I believe, credo, from which we get the English word creed, uh, comes from two Latin words, cor and do. Cor, do, becomes credo. Cor is heart. Do is the first person, singular, present, active, addictive of credere. To believe means I uh, I give, I, I should say. Uh, dare, first, first person, singular, present, active, indicative of dare, to give. So do. I give. Core, heart, do, I give, credo, I give my heart. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creative in heaven and earth? Credo, I give my heart. So notice it's, it's not just um, an intellectual belief. Okay, this is more about that whole preparation thing. You don't get to the point where you can give your heart on a whim. You, you have to be free enough to do it. And then you, you have to be ready to, to know what you're doing. Uh, so that you can say, yeah, I, I'm in control of my heart because I've learned to tame my passions through this period of fasting and penance and preparation. And then I want to give my heart to something. So notice that all the, the fasting, all the prayers, the preparation, it's not about like, oh, just discipline for discipline's sake. No, it's about our heart being free so that I can give it. I want to be able to say credo to the promises of my baptism. I give my heart and mean it. So we, we spend all of Lent detaching our hearts from the things of Satan and or even just lesser goods than God so that when it comes time for Easter and my promises of baptism, I can actually say with my free heart, with my heart that is now detached from the evil of this world, that is detached from lesser goods, now I could say, credo, I give my heart to God. So do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? Credo, and it says actually in the, in the uh, writings of the church that they would yell it loudly. They would yell loudly, the rejects, I renounce, and then yell even more loudly, I believe, credo. And so do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered a bunch of problems, crucified, died, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, who will come to judge the living and the dead. Credo, I do. And this is the one where most people are just trying not to jump into quickly because do you believe in Jesus Christ? Not yet. The only son of God. Credo, no, not, not yet. Uh, it's, it's the long part. So, do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Gets what's third. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection body, and life everlasting. Credo, I do. Now, notice that is the whole formula of baptism. The whole shooting match of your baptismal promises. I reject Satan three times. I believe in God. The Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and a church. Three and three. Three rejects, three credos. Then, after you get these, these beautiful profession of baptism, you are now ready to be baptized. So the, again, naked baptismal people, elect, are brought into the water where the deacon would join them, uh, or perhaps the priest, it depends on how it was done. And then three times would be dung underwater, saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And that is the exact same thing we do today. Uh, people want to do Catholics baptized by, you know, submersion, putting people underwater. And the answer is yes. In fact, although it's not seen too often, the church continues to teach that it is actually the preferred method of baptism that the person could be fully submerged. Okay, and notice I mean submerged, like under. Sub means under. Under the water. Okay, sometimes you see like these these big like baptismal fonts in the backs of Catholic churches. It was like all the rage to like put a hot tub kind of in the back of your church. Okay, to to be baptized while standing in a little bit of water and, and still pouring water, that's that's not baptism by submersion. Why is submersion under the water so important? Because it represents death. Okay, uh, to be born again means to die first so that you can rise uh, again. It is to enter the darkness of the tomb, literally underwater. It's dark. It's death. And, and you know, science note here, if you spend a lot of time underwater, you will die because you can't breathe. Um, so you, you go under the water into death and then you come up out of the water and what do you do? You, you breathe. You inspire inspiration spirit you hear the word right in there what what happens in baptism you receive the spirit the new spirit the holy spirit the spirit of new life so you come up from under the water where you can't breathe and you take in the breath the spirit the in hebrew the ruah the breath of life that god breathed into adam you breathe in the beautiful new air of new life in jesus after baptism so beautiful dying and rising image that comes from submersion uh, that you don't get even with immersion, like just, you know, standing or kneeling in a bunch of water while you get water poured on your head. Perfectly legitimate, perfectly valid to baptize by pouring. Uh, and that's the way that it is normally done in most churches, even especially the Catholic church. Um, you would pour water three times over the head. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But in the early church, it was submersion. Uh, the, the baptistry at uh, St. John Lateran that I mentioned would be a, a nice-sized swimming pool. Uh, you know, eight-sided swimming pool. Eight, eight by the way, for the, the eighth day of creation. You know, there are seven days in a week. The 
eighth day is considered like the first day of the new creation. So traditional baptistries are eight-sided to show the eighth day or the, the final uh, new creation that comes out of baptism. So uh, after that, you, you come up out of the water, having been newly baptized. And as I said, you breathe in that, that spirit. Um, so you know what happens next? Confirmation. Oh, yeah, that's that whole spirit thing, right? Yeah. Now, some people think, oh, confirmation is like when you get the spirit. Uh, no, that's baptism, okay? Remember, original sin means I do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. I get baptized. Original sin is canceled out because the spirit rushes upon you. That's part of what the, the water means. The Holy Spirit rushes upon you into your soul, symbolized by the water. But the other symbol for the coming of the spirit is anointing. So what would happen then is the person who has been newly baptized, uh, perhaps the, the deacon or uh, the priest who's assisting, uh, you know, did the baptism. Well, they would then be brought before the bishop. <clears throat> and as they're soaking wet, they've, you know, and so they got oil, the oil of catechumens. Then they get doused with water under, you know, bathed in water. What happens next uh, is something very much like the... Uh, the uh, anointing of a king. Because what would happen is that the newly baptized, now no longer elect, but they are called neophytes, literally the, the new ones. Uh, they're called a neophyte after they're baptized. They would have the oil of chrism, the most holy oil in the church. Uh, comes from the word Christos, or anointed one. Um, they would have that oil poured all over their head. And it would flow down over their head, over their whole body. Uh, look at when, like, David was anointed king. Samuel, the prophet, comes up and he pours his horn of oil on the top of David's head. That's how you were made a king. Or prophets were anointed with the oil. Or priests were anointed with oil. So when you're baptized, you share in Christ's ministry as priest, prophet, and king, his, his mission. Uh, and so this oil is poured on your head. And here's what would happen. So... With this oil running down all over your head, the sacred chrism, the bishop would step forward and with his thumb trace the sign of the cross on your forehead where all that oil was running down and say essentially to the effect words, be sealed, be sealed with the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's confirmation. But notice how that... That, that happens, think of um, a little bit of an example, uh, like, you know, in the old days when people wrote letters, you know, before there was email, um, if you wanted to identify, you know, authenticate that letter, who's this letter from, you know, if you watch any kind of medieval, you know, show with kings and queens or something, you know, you, you write the letter, you fold up the paper, then you get melted wax, like red, say, wax, you pour the melted red wax over the, the fold of, of, that would keep the letter together. And then you take a, a seal, either like a stamp or maybe a signet ring, a ring that's got a coat of arms in it. And you press that down into the, the moist, wet wax. You press the seal into it. And then when it dries, it, it, it hardens up and you've got the seal. So you can tell, oh, this came from the, the king or this came from so-and-so because his seal is on it in the wax. That's what's happening in the sacrament of confirmation. You've got oil running down 
like like wax. And the bishop comes forward and puts his seal. And notice this time it's not it's not like a coat of arms. It's not a seal of a person, except it's the seal of Jesus. It's the seal of the cross. He traces the cross to say, I claim this person. The same way like someone's coat of arms would, would say, this belongs to the, the king because that's his coat of arms. It's the bishop claiming the newly baptized for Christ in the church with the sign of the cross. And, and we do this uh, a little bit even today in the, the rite of baptism, of the order of baptizing children in the back of the church uh, before they, they process in. Uh, the, the priest does a little ritual where he asks the parents what their name is that they're giving the child. And then he traces the sign of the cross on their forehead and says, Sean, I now claim you for Christ with the sign of his cross. I now make the sign of the cross on your foreheads. I claim you for Christ. I invite your parents and godparents to do the same. It's like stamping the, the seal of Christ on there. You know, like kind of like you would... Uh, you know, like uh, you think of Columbus landing in, in the New World and he, planting the, the flag of Spain, you know, saying, I claim this land for Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain. He also planted the cross, by the way, and celebrated mass, claiming the new land for Jesus. Um, but that that's the kind of imagery that we should see when we think of confirmation. Now, probably today, if you think of confirmation, you think of like some kind of coming of age ritual where, oh, now I'm an adult and I claim the faith for my own. No. That's nothing to do with confirmation. Confirmation is about the ratification of your baptism uh, by the, the church. To, to this day, it is preferred that it happen after baptism, then there's confirmation, then there's Eucharist. Um, in the Eastern churches, so remember we talked about those 23 Eastern churches who are all Catholic, uh, you would be baptized as a little baby, be confirmed, chrismated as it's called uh, in the Eastern churches, right after your baptism, yes, as a little baby, and then given first Eucharist, a little bit of the Eucharist on the tongue. All at once, because those are the three sacraments of initiation. This ordering is so important that to this day, if one is becoming uh, a Catholic as an adult, and that, by the way, that's anybody who is age seven or older is considered an adult um, with the use of reason, the church says that you are baptized, confirmed, and then receive first communion all at the same time, all at the, the Easter vigil or whenever that would happen. I don't know how many uh, people have uh, uh, seen that, uh, but people will often ask if they attend the Easter Vigil and they see like a you know a little seven-year-old uh, getting confirmed. Like did that seven-year-old just get confirmed? Like, yeah, it's actually required by the law uh, that for those who are no longer infants, so they have the use of reason, which is presumed at age seven, uh, they are to be baptized and then immediately confirmed by the priest or whoever baptizes them. Uh, could be the bishop, but. If it's the, the priest at your parish, yes, he, he confers the sacrament of confirmation and then they receive their first Eucharist. Uh, so that is the, the normal order for Christian initiation. And you would see that on display largely if you were to attend the, the Easter Vigil. Uh, which notice, yes, it is the time when new Catholics are initiated, but everyone should go to the Easter Vigil. And we'll, we'll certainly, I'll do a whole special show on the, the Easter Vigil and the liturgies of the, the Holy Three Days, the Sacred Triduum coming up. Uh, but for now, notice what we can take away from what we've talked tonight about the way early Christian initiation happened. First of all, it's a big deal that you have to prepare for. Okay, so we're in Lent. We're about halfway through. How are you doing on your preparation for Easter? Okay, we're heading towards the test where literally at Easter, you will be asked, 
Now that we have completed our days of Lenten observance, let us renew together the promises we made in holy baptism. Will you be ready? At least you'll know that like this is coming. The whole point is to get you ready to make those promises, which are in two parts. Reject Satan, choose God. If you want to know the blueprint for life, that's it right there. Reject Satan, give your heart to God. I reject, I give my heart. Renuncio, credo. That's it. That's the whole Christian life in a nutshell. Turn to the west and spit. Reject Satan. Turn to the east. I believe. Give your heart. So how you doing? We're heading towards Easter. We're heading towards baptism. That's what Easter is about. Um, so this is uh, going to bring our, our time tonight to uh, a close. Eddie asked quickly, what is the significance of the baptismal candle that uh, a newly baptized? He says that the family receives um, that the new uh, baptized receive it, whether adult or an infant, uh, after being enlightened in baptism. What a great symbol to receive the light of Christ. Those are the words. Uh, the candle is lit from the Easter candle, which is blessed at the Easter vigil, to show that this child has now been enlightened. They are to walk as a child of the light, uh, and that, that's a symbol, a nice symbol, of the, of the gift of faith that has been given to that child. And so the parents and godparents, in the case of an infant, are told you know, to be careful to keep this light uh, burning, that it doesn't go out, meaning the light of faith. Because we can we can do all this great stuff at baptism. Yeah, I reject. Yeah, I reject Satan. Spit. I choose God. Yes, I choose you. Uh, and then we tend to want to take it back. Yeah. And so that's why we need confession, which is what I'm going to do right now. Um, again, I see a lot of people just jumping on right now. Uh, 6.30 is the normal time for Sean the Baptist Live. However, these last two weeks, we have had the first celebration of the Sacrament of Penance with our second graders. We've got the second half of that tonight. Uh, so I'm going to now go over to the church and hear first confessions. Um, but for those of you just jumping on, uh, this video is posted permanently. I think it takes a, a little bit when I click end for it to be posted on the timeline. Um, you can probably rewind it right from now if you're watching uh, and just go back. But it, it will be out there when I'm done with the confessions. I'll get it up on YouTube and SeanTheBaptist.org. So fear not. If you missed the live showing tonight, uh, it, you can still go back and, and watch it. Um, Beth Pittman is saying, yeah, way to go, second graders. Indeed, Mark Gilstrap is on. Good to have you on, Mark, a regular from St. Pat's. Um, this is going to do it for the live portion of the Sean the Baptist Live tonight. We will be back at 6.30 next week, like normal and, and going forward. Uh, so thanks to those who joined live at 5.30 tonight for the early uh, taping, as it were. Those of you who remember what tapes are uh, of Sean the Baptist Live. This is Wednesday, March 10th, Wednesday in the third week of Lent. We are headed for Latare Sunday this Sunday. So the rose vestments come back. We rejoice to be halfway through Lent. I pray that your Lent is going well, that you are preparing yourself for baptism. So that when it comes time this Easter, you can turn to the West and symbolically spit. I mean, you could actually spit if you want. Just make sure there's no one standing there and be sure to take the little sanitary wipes and disinfect the area where you spit after the Easter vigil. Uh, but more importantly, to be able to turn to the east, all of us as a church, to turn east, people look east, and say, credo, I believe. That's where we're headed, folks. Baptism. Credo, I believe, I give my heart, spit to the west. I hope you'll be able to do that with much gusto this Easter. God bless you.